0: Over 2,500 years ago, the holy city of Jerusalem was conquered by a hostile foreign army. Many of the Israelites were captured and taken to live as exiles in the enemy city, Babylon. The book of Daniel tells us the story of how God equipped his people to live faithfully during this time of captivity in a place where very Over 2,500 years ago, the holy city of Jerusalem was conquered by a hostile foreign army. Many of the Israelites were captured and taken to live as exiles in the enemy city, Babylon. The book of Daniel tells us the story of how God equipped his people to live faithfully during this time of captivity, in a place with very different values than their own. As we seek to follow God in our world today, we can learn a lot from Daniel's journey. His story shows us how we can live faithfully, with hope, Wisdom and integrity as strangers and exiles.
1: Staying warm in here today. It's a little chilly. Um, maybe it'll, uh, I don't know it's cold weather do anything good for you is, are there any health benefits to being cold i know some people take ice baths they're weird they're really weird but i know some people are into that kind of thing but anyway glad you're here today um hey as we were singing a minute ago um about god's love i just um man god's love is amazing um 1 John talks all about God's love. We know what God's love is because he he showed us what love is. He demonstrated his love for us. We don't love him uh, because we we figured out what love is. We love him because he loved us first. And as we were singing that song this morning, um, I think sometimes we take for granted the love of God. Sometimes you might even sing a song like that and It just says, he loves us, oh, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us. And you might go, they just keep repeating the same thing over and over. What kind of song is that? (laughs) It's the kind of song that you need to sing more often because we need to be reminded over and over that he loves us, oh, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us, oh, how he loves us. You can't hear that enough. It's not about you, it's about his love. It's about his great love for us. And we need to understand the foundation of his love for us. And I'm also grateful for the song that we sang, Great Are You, Lord, and it declares all the earth will shout your praise. And as we, as, as Becca and Julia led us in Spanish, I just was reminded that one day every nation and tribe and tongue will bow before the Lord in heaven. And as one family, we will declare Oh, how he loves us. Uh, Luann Lyons is here this morning with some of the team from Global Surge. Uh, Luann and Greg Lyons are, are missionaries in the Philippines and really all over Southeast Asia. And uh, they're here in town for a conference this week. And I think they said there's about 20 or 30 people from their team all over the world who will be joining them. And it's a global missions conference as churches and pastors and missionaries from all over the world, from every continent are coming together to talk about how can we advance the gospel in this world. And church, we get to be a part of that through our partnership with missionaries and through taking the gospel around the world. And I am so excited for all that God is doing. Last week, um, Arthur and Jess uh, Gonsalves uh, and the team from Restoration Church had their first Sunday service. And uh, yeah, praise God for that. Um launched out of this church. And I uh, talked to Arthur last Sunday afternoon. He said they had a, about 112 people in the service. And uh, so praise God for that. They were, they were able to baptize uh, last Sunday morning. And, and uh, we talked for a while. He told me all about it. And he said, man, I'm, I'm tired. I said, well, good, because you got to get some rest. You got to do it again next week. And so uh, we're praying for Restoration Church this morning. They're meeting just as we are at Hamilton Elementary School in Sanford, Florida and praying that God would move in a mighty way through brand new church, uh, sharing the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ in that community. And man, we are excited that we get to be a part of it. Glad you're here this morning. We're continuing our series through the book of Daniel. It's called Strangers and Exiles, a journey through the book of Daniel. Last week we started off the series and um, really with this foundational idea that, that Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah later, they all got new names as we talked about last week. Um, they, they were taken as captives, as exiles into an enemy city of Babylon. And, and they lived faithfully as followers of God, as the people of God, living for the kingdom of God in a kingdom that was not their own, a kingdom of this world. And it's represented represented by the empire, the nation of Babylon. And we saw that in our own lives, we can learn from Daniel's story because we're also called to live as strangers and exiles, people ...of the kingdom of God who are living in the kingdom of this world. And so we looked at a a couple principles. Number one, Babylon and the story represents the kingdoms of this world. The spiritual reality that that there is a kingdom of this world and, and it influences our lives. And so last week we just said we must be aware that there is a culture around us, there is a kingdom of this world around us that is trying to influence us, our values, our identity, our priorities. And if we aren't careful to recognize the influence of the world around us, then then before you know it, we are totally uh, assimilated into the culture around us. Uh, The values of the world and the culture around us become our values rather than scripture Shaping our values and, and so we said we, we must be aware that we live in the kingdom of this world and Babylon Represents that over and over in Scripture in the Old Testament and, and the New Testament and in the book of Revelation Babylon represents all the kingdoms of this world we also said that that exile is a spiritual principle in the book of Daniel, we see Daniel and his friends, they're, they're literally exiles living in a spiritual, uh, in, a, in a kingdom of this world in Babylon. But the New Testament calls us to live as strangers and exiles. It's the spiritual state of the people of God who are waiting on the kingdom of God, living in the kingdom of this world, and, and we are exiles. We must recognize that. So the book of Daniel uh, teaches us how we can live as the people of God in the kingdom of this world. And so that's what this series is all about. And last week was just the foundation that, hey, be aware open your eyes, recognize the kingdom of this world around you. Recognize the influences around you from media and culture and education and, and priorities and uh, that, that that we're being inundated with messages that, that want to uh, set our priorities on things that are not the priorities of the kingdom of God. So Daniel's not just a story about a lion's den and a fiery furnace. It's not just a uh, a book about prophecy. It's a book that helps us practically, as followers of Jesus, live for the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. We closed with a passage out of 1 Peter chapter 2 last week. Um, and we're going to see over and over in the book of Daniel, there's so many parallels in the letter that Peter writes to the early church uh, in the first century. But 1 Peter 2 9 through 12 says this in in parallel to what we're learning from the life of Daniel. Peter is speaking to followers of Jesus and he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you might proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And dear friends, he says, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles or the kingdom of this world so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. Let me pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. God, thank you that your word is truth, that your word is powerful, that your word has the ability to transform us and change us. So Lord, help us to surrender, to submit to your word today. Give us ears to hear and hearts to obey. Speak to us, empower us through your spirit to live lives of faith as your people living in the kingdom of this world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this idea of being exiles and strangers, I I was thinking a little bit this morning of times in my life where I've felt out of place. Can can anybody remember a time in your life where you felt really out of place? Maybe you moved to a new town, maybe you went to a new school when you were younger, uh, and, and you just felt like a fish out of water. That's the, the life of, of Daniel and, and these, his friends. Um, but it's a spiritual reality. I mean, we've experienced that physically. Maybe you've moved to a new place, a new culture. Maybe you've been, you've traveled and you've been in places where, you know, no, you don't speak the language and nobody around you speaks your language and and you just feel out of place I remember when I was in ninth grade it was the summer between my ninth grade year and my 10th grade year I went on a missions trip to Albania Teresa and I was in the capital Tirana, and uh, I was with these basketball players, and I played a little bit of basketball. I, don't, I ended up on this trip with these guys. They were all uh, on the same team. They, they were from a school in Ohio, and I was the only guy who was not a part of their team. So I, I felt a little awkward already, you know, when you're ninth, tenth grade, 14, 15 year, years old, you're, you're pretty concerned about what other people think about you. So I'm, I'm here with these people and, you know, felt a little out of place. But on top of that, I'm, I'm also in another culture. It was really my first trip outside of the U.S. of any significance and, and um, you know, didn't speak the language. Nobody spoke English. And I'm hanging out with these guys and we're playing basketball and they're all better than me. So I, I felt, you know, embarrassed, a little out of place about that. But it was the summer of 1994. Uh, that was the World Cup when, when the World Cup was hosted here in the U.S. Orlando had some games at the at the uh, Citrus Bowl. And uh, so one night everybody decided, hey, we're going to go watch the World Cup game down in the Toronto Square. On, they had a big screen set up down there. The U.S. was playing Italy or something. So we were going to get beat, but we were all going to go watch the game anyway. Um, but everybody left me, all the other people that knew each other that didn't know me. But I thought, that's okay, I'll just go down there. I know how to get there. I've been walking from this house where we were staying through downtown to this orphanage where we were doing some ministry um, all week. And so I thought, it's no problem, I know how to get there, but it's different when it's dark outside. And it was a, it was a longer walk. So. Going to watch the U.S. play Italy, so I have my little USA t-shirt on, carrying a little American flag, and I'm walking through the streets of Tirana, Albania. It's dark outside. I don't know where I'm going. Nobody speaks English to give me directions, and I I see some landmarks that I recognized along the way, but, but now I realize I, I don't know where I'm at anymore, and uh, Tirana has these old... Um, kind of apartment block buildings from the communist era, and they all kind of look the same. And I ended up in this little alley between some buildings, and I'm thinking, this is is not where I'm supposed to be. I've got my little USA shirt, my little USA flag, and I'm putting the flag in my pocket. And I I really look out of place right now. And I'm getting pretty nervous, because I have no idea how to get where I'm going. And there's people sitting outside, and they're all looking at me like, You're not supposed to be here. Um, And uh, all of a sudden, this little dog comes like running off of one of the porches. And it's just a little tiny dog. But I was already on edge and I jumped probably six feet in the air. All the people in the alley just started laughing at me and I took off running. I didn't know where I was going, but I found the square And I got there, and the people I was supposed to be with, they had already left, and so then I had to go back. Anyway, that was a bad night, right? I felt really out of place on a lot of levels, you know, kind of rejected by the group, uh, in a a place where I was lost and I was scared. But Daniel and and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, later renamed, they find themselves in a crazy place, right? Nebuchadnezzar, he comes in and he he conquers their city. The the king surrenders. They take the gold from the temple with them. I I mean, they didn't just go visit and get stuck. They're conquered, they're taken as prisoners. I, I wanna read a little bit Uh, kind of review where we were at last week and look at some important principles. So I'm going to go to the first couple of verses here of Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. But I want us to see something here. Look at this with me. Go back to the last slide, guys. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him. Who, who handed King Jehoiakim to Nebuchadnezzar? The Lord. This morning as, as we look at the book of Daniel, as we look at principles for how we can live as the people of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world, what we must understand, what is foundational to all of it is that to live faithfully as exiles and strangers, we must recognize that God is in control. Daniel is telling this story later in his life. He's telling the story of his capture along with his friends. They're captured and taken away from their home. They're probably about the age I was when I got lost in Toronto, Albania. They're probably 15, 16 years old. They're just young men. And they're taken as captives. Their identity is wiped away as they're given new names. They're they're being trained in the religion and the culture of Babylon, which was totally opposite and anti the God of Israel. The, The temple of God was plundered. I mean, the gold was taken from the temple into the God, into the temples of the gods of Babylon. Not only that, um, these guys, they were made into eunuchs. That means they couldn't have kids anymore. It's what you do to dogs when you don't want the dogs to have kids anymore. It happened to these guys. They, they served under the chief eunuch. They were eunuchs. This was a typical thing that foreign armies would do. They would take the best and the brightest, and they would humiliate them and emasculate them and teach them the culture so that they couldn't rise up, so they couldn't have any kids that would later come along and rise up as leaders in this nation. I mean, it was, it was a bad scene for these guys. But they recognized that God was in control. When, when Daniel wrote the story later, he said, the Lord handed Judah over, Jerusalem over, and us over to Nebuchadnezzar. And maybe you're facing something really difficult in your life right now. Maybe the season that you find yourself in is a really, really hard one. And there's lots of reasons for that. Could be health, it could be relationships, it could be financial, it could be the loss of a job, it could be the loss of a loved one. There's lots of people in this room who have lost loved ones in the last couple of years. Just the uncertainty of the past couple of years is enough to stress anybody out the political uncertainty, the political turmoil. I mean, there's lots of reasons for us to be having a bad day. But Daniel reminds us that no matter how dark it gets, God is still in control. Even when we face suffering, if we're gonna live as strangers and exiles, there are gonna be bad days. And some of them are gonna be really, really bad bad. It's because this world is not our home, that's what we talked about last week. But if we're going to live faithfully, we must remember that God is in control, even in suffering. And, and you might ask, well, now wait a minute. If God is in control even through the suffering, then, I mean, is God not st- strong enough to overcome the suffering? I'm sure there were questions when when Nebuchadnezzar conquered Judah and took articles from the temple of God and put them in the temples of his own gods. Like is God not strong enough to defeat the gods of Babylon? No, God is in control. He knows what he's doing even when it doesn't make sense to us. And and so Daniel looks back and he says, God was in control even through all of it. And maybe in your life, whatever you're facing, you're, you're struggling with God. Why would God allow this? Why would God let this happen? Why would God allow this to happen in our nation? Why would God allow this to happen in the world? Why would God allow this in my life? Why would God take this person from me, this thing from me? We live in a kingdom and it's not the kingdom of God. We live in a kingdom of this world and we are people of the kingdom of God. And as we're gonna see in this passage, one day the kingdom of God will be fully here. Right now, the kingdom of God is is here in our lives as believers, but it is not fully realized. Like scripture tells us it will be one day when God will make every wrong right, when he will rule and reign in justice. And so for now we live in a kingdom of this world and there will be dark days. We must recognize that God is still in control. And this last couple of years has been really challenging for us because at least in the United States, Like, we're used to things going pretty good. Like, we're used to being able to get toilet paper when we want to get toilet paper, you know what I mean? We forget that there are brothers and sisters all around the world who are persecuted for their faith, who are executed for their faith, who are put in jail for their faith. We forget that there are brothers and sisters all around the world who have dealt with Sickness. Sicknesses that we don't even know about. We don't know about malaria. We don't know about dengue fever. We don't, we don't. But there are places around the world where our brothers and sisters suffer poverty and malnutrition. And we can't get toilet paper and we're like, oh God, what are you doing? There's a kingdom of this world, and we live in it. And we've been pretty spoiled, (laughs) y'all. But we need to be reminded that no matter how dark it gets, God is still in control. And before Jesus Christ returns to rule and reign as King and Lord, it will get darker. And it will get better. And it will get darker and it will get better because that's what it means to live in the kingdom of this world. But God is still in control. Jesus said in this world, you will have trouble, I promise. Count on it. But don't be afraid because I've overcome the world. We need to understand that God is in control because when we face difficult times, we're tempted to figure it out. And I'm not saying that we should just sit back and it, I'm not talking about fatalism. Well, I, I guess I'm gonna die. Oh, well. I'm not talking about that as we're gonna see. Uh, Daniel, God, God gives us agency and, and, and he calls us to, to make decisions and, and to step out. But so many times we look for human solutions to spiritual problems and we end up in a mess. We try to fix things and solve things instead of trusting in God and we end up in a mess. We end up frustrated. We end up thinking that we're pretty smart. We, we look to uh, politics and kings and rulers and money and finances and wealth and prosperity to, to solve the problems that only God can solve in our lives. We must recognize that God is in control. Let's keep... Reading. In verse eight, so we're told that the king has this plan, he's gonna feed the Daniel and, and the Hebrew boys his food and teach him his culture. But in verse eight it says, Daniel determined that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine he drank. So he asked permission from the chief eunuch not to defile himself. Listen, God had granted Daniel kindness and compassion from the chief eunuch. Again, God is in control. Yet he said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned you food and drink. What if he sees your faces looking thinner than the other young men your age? You would endanger my life with the king. So what does Daniel do? He goes to the next guy in command. He, so Daniel said to the guard, who the chief eunuch had assigned to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then examine our appearance and the appearance of the young men who are eating the king's food and deal with your servants based on what you see. He agreed with them and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, they looked better and healthier than all the young men who were eating the king's food. So the guard continued to remove their food and wine and they were, uh, they were to drink and gave them vegetables here's what I want us to see from this. God, because God is in control, we can trust him with our situation. God gave Daniel wisdom and, and Daniel exercised his wisdom. He, he spoke to the chief eunuch who was in charge of all the, all the guys who were in exile there. And he said, hey, God's law says we're not supposed to eat the food that you're giving us. Could we, could we skip that? And just we just want vegetables and water and... And the chief eunuch said, I like you, you're a nice guy, but I can't do that because if, if you don't look strong and healthy, when I take you before the king, he's gonna have my head and I'm not willing to do that for you. So Daniel goes to the next guy in line, the, the guard who literally brings the food every day. And he says, hey, spoke to Ariok. Um, He said, no, but just give us 10 days. Let me try it for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, if it doesn't work, then you decide what's best. But for 10 days, let us try to honor our God in this way. And I love this because Daniel trusted God. He said, try it for 10 days and you know, maybe God will come through. If he doesn't, then you decide what's best. The truth is Daniel could have gotten in a lot of trouble. At the end of 10 days, the guard could have said, hey, you're out of here. You're out of the program. That means, <sighs> doesn't just mean you're out of the internship, like you're out, out. But Daniel believed that God was in control and so he took a step of faith. He, he took a next step toward what he believed God was calling him to and then just trusted God to do what only God could do. And there's sometimes in our life where we're just called to take a step of faith and then trust God. And at the end of 10 days, the story tells us that they were looking healthier than everybody. In fact, the the literal Hebrew word says they were were fatter than everybody else. So vegetables and water doesn't make you fatter, I promise. That's not how that works. (laughs) Only God can do that. And also, this is not about only eat vegetables and water and that's what God wants for your life. Praise God, that's not what this means. <laughs> the point is, Daniel trusted God. He said, look, just give us 10 days. That, that's, that's the key to this. It's the key to understanding this. He said, I believe that God is gonna do something supernatural. Supernatural. He went out on a limb. Now, if you're like me, sometimes I don't make my prayers all that public. Sometimes I try to keep things kind of close to the vest. I, I remember one Sunday in particular, several years ago, I decided, you know what, God, I'm gonna call everybody I know and ask them to pray for this coming Sunday so that I'm out there. Like, they're gonna ask me how it went, and I'm gonna have to answer them. Because if you're like me, sometimes you hold back because you're just not sure if God's really gonna come through or not. You're just not sure if God's really gonna move or not, and so you just kind of hedge your bets. You know, you kind of pray these prayers like, oh, you know, maybe God, no, no, no. But Daniel, he said, we're gonna do this, we're gonna try it for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, we're gonna see what happens. He, he just put himself out there with this guard, right? He could, could have went really bad, but he was willing to step out in faith. And, and for some of us, because God is in control, we need to step out in faith and trust God with the results. It's not on you. They didn't get healthier and smarter and wiser because of vegetables. That's, that's not what did it. It was because God moved. In fact, verse 17 tells us this. God gave these four men knowledge and understanding. Who gave it to them? God. Who gave it to them? God, not the vegetables and water, guys. If you're, you know, if you're a vegan, that's great. It's more red meat for me. Amen. Got an amen out of that one. God is in control. God gave these four men knowledge and understanding and every kind of literature and wisdom. Daniel also understood visions and dreams of every kind. At the end of the time that the king had said to present them, the chief eunuch presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king interviewed them and among them, Among all of them, no one was found to equal Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they began to attend the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding that the king consulted them about, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and mediums in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained there until the first year of King Cyrus. God is in control in our suffering. We can trust God because he is in control, but God is also in control and our blessings. Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they could have said, hey, straight A's over here, guys. Gonna get my parents a bumper sticker for the back of their car. My child is an honor student in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian high school, right? They could have felt pretty good about themselves, but they recognized that whatever they had came from God. The difficult seasons, the seasons when they had to step out in faith and trust God, and the blessings too. This story does not mean that you're going to be the head of your class. This story does mean that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And that when we experience blessings, it's from God's hand. They didn't excel because they conformed to culture. They excelled because God empowered them. They lived differently, right? When everybody else was eating steak and drinking the king's red wine, they were eating vegetables and water. They looked weird to everybody else in their class. The dietary restrictions of the Old Testament, the kosher laws, what you could eat and what you couldn't eat, unclean food and clean food. The reason God called his people to that is so they would be distinct. So that when the world around them saw them, they would go, what? Why do you do that? Because God told us to do it. Why do you worship that way? Why do you live that way because God called us to do it. He, God always called his people to, to be distinct, to stand out, to be different. And we see Daniel and these three Hebrew boys and they're living in the middle of the Babylonian kingdom serving the emperor, Nebuchadnezzar. And they're at the top of the class, but they're, they look different than anybody else. God hasn't called us to retreat from culture. God hasn't called us to retreat from the world. He's called us to be right smack dab in the middle of it and to live differently. God didn't call us to all go live in a monastery somewhere. He said, hey, if you're an engineer, be the best engineer at your work (laughs) and live differently. If you're a sales rep, be the best sales rep God allows you to be and live differently. If you're a real estate agent, be the best real estate agent you can be for the glory of God. Be the best teacher you can be for the glory of God. Be the best graphic designer, be the best electrician, plumber, manufacturer for the glory of God. God is in control. And our suffering and our blessing, we can trust Him because He's in control. And so Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah, they find themselves living pretty good. I mean, things are good at work. They're known to the king of the most powerful man in the world. They're 10 times better than everybody else in their class. But as with life, things take a turn. In chapter two, it tells us that Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And he wakes up and he's, frazzled from the dream, and he calls all of the wise men of Babylon. He says, I need you guys to tell me the interpretation of the dream. And he says, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. And they say, okay, well, tell us what the dream is. And he says, no, I'm not going to tell you what the dream is, because if I tell you the dream, you're just going to make something up. So you tell me the dream I had, and then you tell me what it means. And they say, hey, 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 that's not fair. Listen, let me read it to you exactly What they say, Daniel chapter two, verse 10, the Chaldeans, these are the wise men, answered the king. No one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever even asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. What the king is asking for is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. Because of this, the king became violently angry, not just angry, not just violent, violently angry, and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. The decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. So imagine, you're Daniel and Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, sitting at home, eating vegetables and water. Somebody knocks on the door, you go answer it. And uh, they say, hey, we're here to execute you. Bad day, right? Then Daniel, verse 14, responded with tact and discretion to Ariok, the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked Arioch, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so harsh? Then Ariok explained the situation to Daniel. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so that he could give the king the interpretation Then Daniel went to his house and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about this matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery. So Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of heavens and declared, may the name of God be praised forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my ancestors, because you have given me wisdom and power and now you have let me know what we have asked for, for you have let us know the king's mystery. How did Daniel respond when Ariok knocked on the door and said, we're here to execute you? First, he went to the king. He said, hey, give us a little time. We're going to have a prayer meeting, and then we'll get back to you. And then he gets back home, and he says, guys, we got to pray. We got to pray. We have to pray. Prayer is our declaration that God is in control. This idea of trusting God, of knowing that God is in control in the bad times and the good times, we can trust him because he's in control. How do we live that out? We pray. We pray. Because it is through prayer that we declare, you're in control, God, I'm not. And consequently, when we don't pray, what we're declaring is, God, I got this. I don't need you. Prayer is our declaration that God is in control and Daniel and the boys get to praying and God comes through. What's also incredible is that because of Daniel and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah's little prayer meeting, all the other wise men of Babylon, they get to keep their heads too. And there's a reality that the faithfulness of the few and prayer ensure the blessings of the many. Keep praying. Keep praying for people who don't pray. Keep praying for people who are far from God because your prayers are powerful. Pray for this church. When we have opportunities to gather and pray, please come and pray. Because it's through prayer that we declare God is in control. So Daniel goes to the king and he tells him the dream. He says, hey king, here's your dream. You dreamed about this big statue. It was enormous. It was dazzling. Had a head of gold. It had uh, uh, arms and torso of silver. It had a waist and thighs of brass had legs of iron and it had feet that were iron and clay mixed together. And here's what it means, king. It means that you are the head of gold. You are the most powerful king alive. And after you're gone, there will be another kingdom, the kingdom of silver. And it will be a strong kingdom. And it will rule for a time and and then another kingdom will come, the kingdom of brass. And it will rule the whole world. And then there will be a kingdom like iron that shatters the whole earth. And then there will be another kingdom of clay and iron mixed together and it will have some of the strength of iron but it will also be clay and it won't mix together very well You can read the whole thing in Daniel chapter two. I'm gonna put a picture up on the screen to just kind of show you, you know, what this is. So this is prophetic and it really points to historical realities. The kingdom of gold, the head of gold represents the kingdom of Babylon that Nebuchadnezzar reigned. And about 50 or 60 years after his reign, the Medo-Persian empire comes in and they rule and they conquer Babylon and they conquer much of the known world at that time. It's the kingdom of silver. History tells us about the Medo-Persian Empire. And after that, the kingdom of Greece under Alexander the Great comes along. And it conquers the whole world all the way to India. You remember the story about Alexander and riding the war elephants over the mountains? It's the kingdom of brass. And after his death his kingdom is divided and not long after that the Roman Empire comes to prominence. The legs of iron and they crush. They, they were a, a, a warlike empire. They crushed everybody around them. But eventually the Roman Empire came to nothing. And this feet of clay represents really the modern nations of this world. Biblical scholars kind of debate this feat of clay. Some say it's the Holy Roman Empire, the nations of Europe that came after the Roman Empire. Some say it goes all the way to today, and I believe it does, and I'll tell you why in just a minute. You can even think of this this feat of clay, these nations that are kind of mixing together, trying to figure out how to unify things, but they can't really figure it out. You can even think of the United Nations of the world, the the G eight summit, the the G twelve, all, all of these nations of the world that kind of come together and they try to unify things, but they can never quite get it figured out. The rest of the dream is this: Nebuchadnezzar, you see this great statue, and it tells about all these kingdoms that will come. And Nebuchadnezzar, you also saw in this dream a rock. Nobody cut it out, it just appeared. It wasn't made by human hands. And it struck the statue in its feet. And it crumbled the statue. And the iron and the brass and the silver and the gold, they they crumbled and they blew away like chaff in the wind. And it represents the kingdom of God that will come like a stone and that will grow into a mountain in the whole world. And it will be an everlasting kingdom. And what this dream tells us, it gives us a prophetic picture into the future of kingdoms that will come. But for us today, it reminds us that when all the kingdoms of the world come to an end, God will still be in control. When all the kingdoms of the world come to an end, God will still be in control. Babylon, they thought nobody will ever be like us. And then they were conquered by the Medes and the Persians. And the Medes and the Persians thought nobody will ever be like us. Then Alexander the Great comes along and the Greek empire spans the whole world and they thought nobody will ever be like us. And then the Roman empire comes in and they say nobody will ever conquer us. Because that's what the kingdoms of this world do. We think, now we've got it figured out. Every generation looks at the generation before them and goes, man, they were idiots. But we've got it figured out today. And I promise you, 50 years from now, those people will look at us and go, man, they were idiots. We've got it figured out today. Because that's what we do, that's what humanity does. We know the answers, we're wise, we're smart, we're all powerful, we'll last forever. We'll make a name for ourselves. And Daniel reminds us that when this is all gone, God will still be in control. The kingdom of God is an everlasting kingdom. I almost started singing dust in the wind but I decided not to do that. Scripture says our life is but a vapor. The kingdoms of this world are but a vapor. I want to read one more passage out of First Peter, and then we'll close. I told you, First Peter, there's so many incredible parallels to what we learn in the Book of Daniel. But in First Peter, chapter two, verses four through eight, remember the stone that was not cut out by human hands that shattered the statue. 1 Peter 2, 4, Peter tells us this, you come to him, that is Jesus Christ, a living stone. Rejected by people, rejected by the kingdoms of this world, rejected by the pluralistic culture around us, but chosen and honored by God. And you yourselves, that is people of the kingdom, are also living stones a spiritual house, and you're being built up to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. No matter how hard life gets, no matter how good life goes. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone. A stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were destined for this. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. He is the stone that was not made by human hands who will one day conquer all the nations of the world. And as we said earlier, every nation and tribe and tongue will bow before him. And he will rule and reign in justice. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. It will be a perfect kingdom. Isaiah says he is the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. To his government there shall be no end. So, if we're going to live as strangers and exiles in this world, we must remember that God is in control. In the hard times, God is in control. In the good times, God is in control. We can trust him because he is in control. And when the kingdoms of this world all come to an end, he will still be in control. And so, Peter says build your life on this cornerstone, on this foundation. Don't reject him. Don't stumble over him. Let him be the foundation of your life. The statue with the feet of clay, clay does not make a good foundation. The kingdoms of this world are built on shifting sand. But the kingdom of God is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So church, believers, we are exiles and strangers. We are living in the kingdom of this world and we're called to be faithful as the people of God. And that's hard to do because sometimes life is hard. We experience suffering, we might even experience persecution. If we're gonna live faithfully, we must remember that God is in control. Because he's in control, we can trust him. We can step out in faith and follow him. And when we experience blessing, we need to remember that that's from God too. Sometimes we wanna take credit for that stuff one day, when it's all said and done, God will still be in control. The question is, where will you be? Where will you be when Jesus rules and reigns for eternity? Where will you be? What is your foundation? So this morning, if you've never come to Jesus Christ as Savior, I urge you the words of Peter in this passage. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone. The one who believes in him will never be put to shame. Have you believed and put your faith in Jesus Christ, the cornerstone? Honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, the stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone Jesus Christ, the stone that the builders rejected, shattered all the kingdoms of this world. And if you find yourself on the wrong side of that stone, it's not a good place to be. We can build our life on that stone or one day that stone will judge and shatter. Turn to him today. Build your life on that foundation today. Stand up with me. Let's pray. God, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. We declare great are you, Lord. God, you are in control. God, you are sovereign over all. God, even in our darkest moments, you are with us. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with us. We don't have to be afraid. Romans 8, 28 tells us that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose, Lord, even the difficult things. Jesus, you told us in John 16 that in this world, we will have trouble, but we don't have to be afraid because you have overcome the world. So Lord, help us to rest in the hope and reality that you are in control. Because you're in control, we can trust you with our lives. We can trust you with our sickness. We can trust you with our marriages. We can trust you with our kids. We can trust you with our eternity. We can trust you with our finances. We can trust you with our vocation and our career. We can trust you with our Emotions. We can trust you with our heart. We can trust you with our darkest days because you are in control and you are trustworthy and you are good. We can build our life on you because you are the chief cornerstone. And so, Lord, for those this morning who are struggling in a difficult season of life, help them to trust in you even today. Help them to declare that you are in control by just simply praying. God, I trust you. God, I believe in you. Help my unbelief. God, for those who are, who are on the top side of life right now, things are going pretty good for them. God, remind them that you are still in control, that they are not the master of their own fate, that they didn't get themselves to, that, to this point. And that when the tough days come, you will still be in control. So even in this moment of of plenty, help them to trust you, to rely on you. Then Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning who has never come to the point of putting their faith in you, the living stone, the foundation, the cornerstone, the King of kings and Lord of lords, Lord, make them aware of their need through the power of your Holy Spirit this morning. Don't let them put you off any longer. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask a couple of questions so I can pray for you this morning and just so you can even declare the testimony of your own life this morning. I would ask this question. Is there anybody who says, I'm in in the tough season? And this morning, I need to be reminded that God is in control. I'm in that tough season. If that's you, raise your hand this morning. Just raise your hand as a testimony this morning praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Just raise your hand as a testimony this morning. I'm in that tough season and I need to be reminded that God is in control. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. God, I pray for these this morning who just declare by their raised hand, God, that they're in the, the valley difficult season Lord assure them this morning through your presence your peace and your power that you are with them and that they can trust in you I would ask this question is there anybody who would say I believe God is in control but I need to step out in faith and trust him with my life I've been kind of holding back, I've been hedging my bets, but I just need to step out in faith to declare that God is in control. Anybody say, that's me, I'm like that, pray for me, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. God, I pray for these, Lord, help them to declare that you are in control by the way they live their lives, for your glory and honor. Is there anybody who would say, I'm in a pretty good season? And I just need God to help me continue to rely on him and not rely on myself. Anybody like that this morning? Yeah, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. A lot of us. God, I pray for these folks. Help them to continually look to you, not to lean on their own understanding. The last question I wanna ask this morning, is there anybody who would say, I need to come to Jesus Christ as savior this morning I've been trying to live life in my own power but today I need to trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord I've been putting him off but today is is my day is there anybody like that this morning if that's you raise your hand so I can pray for you this morning anybody at all anybody at all like that this morning Lord, by the testimony of these in this room, God, many of us are struggling through hard times. Many of us are living in good times. Many of us just need to step out in faith, but God, you are in control of all. God, help us to live our life in a way that declares that you are faithful, that you are good, you are in control. Be honored and glorified in us. Well, I pray if there's anyone in here this morning needs to come to you a Savior, that they would respond in Jesus' name. Hey, we're gonna sing the chorus of this song just declaring that God is great and greatly to be praised. And if you wanna come pray this morning, just again as a testimony um, of, of your dependence on the God who is in control, I invite you to do that. If you wanna pray with somebody this morning, I would love to pray with you. I'll be right down here in the front. But as we sing, I invite you to respond however God is calling you.